This week on Mouse Flicks, Jessica Jones is crushing it, Behind the Magic takes me to school, and introducing the Muppets. So silence your cell phones and settle in. You're listening to Episode 9 of the Mouse Flicks Podcast. Mouseflix is a fan-produced podcast dedicated to Disney film and entertainment. Lend us your ears for news, reviews, and commentary on the film House of Mouse. Mouseflix is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Company, Walt Disney Pictures, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, or their partners and subsidiaries. All opinions expressed via Mouseflix Media are solely those of the podcasters and do not represent the views of any other individual or entity. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to Mouseflix. I'm Kristen DiBiase. How was your weekend? We met up with some friends. When my husband and his buddies get together, it's funny for the rest of us to watch their little three-man bromance from a distance. A healthy distance. That said, so, let's talk Mickey and the movies. Oh, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. It's time for News Nibbles, part of a balanced breakfast. There are some links in the show notes, which you can find on our website at www.mouseflakes.com. Netflix has released the teaser trailer for its upcoming Marvel series, Jessica Jones. Former star of the ABC series Don't Trust the Bee, Kristen Ritter plays the title role, a superhero turned detective. The original series drops at 3 a.m. Eastern on November 20th, with 13 one-hour episodes. This is the second of four superhero series Netflix is developing with Marvel. The first, Daredevil, was a hit and Jessica Jones will be followed by Luke Cage and Iron Fist. After all four shows debut, the characters will join forces in a fifth show, The Defenders. The promo does a sweeping shot across Jessica's very untidy floor, which is littered with laundry and booze, passes over the rumpled superhero herself, who is buried face down in a pillow, and lands on a bedside alarm clock. The moment the clock goes off, Jessica annihilates it with one hand. We'll have to wait a while before it's out, but so far, looks like she's crushing it. The Disney Junior show Doc McStuffins is getting a special guest on an upcoming episode, Doc McStuffins Goes to Washington, the First Lady of the United States, Michelle Obama. In the episode, an animated flotus invites Doc and some other children to the White House, where a mishap results in a ripped bunny stuffy. After saving the day, Doc is declared the official toy doctor for the White House. Look for the episode on October 5th. Okay, it's not really entertainment, but I had to stick this in because what? A Florida resident made a Breaking Bad move during a phone call with a Disney cast member and has now been banned from Disney for life. David Swindler was on hold for 15 minutes, hung up, and called back. When a cast member answered, the frustrated guest said that they were so slow that I could have built a meth lab in the time it's taken you guys to answer my question. The joke really blew up in his face because Disney was not amused. After police arrived to search the room and escort the family out, Swindler was issued a trespass notice, which means he can never set foot on Disney property ever again. 
Way harsh, Ty. And that, friend, is that. It's been a while, so here's what's happening across the street at Fox with the other relatives in the Marvel family. Remember when those rumors were going around about Channing Tatum dropping out of Gambit? Not gonna happen. He's solidly on board, and French actress and Bond girl Léa Seydoux has been offered the role of Belladonna Bella Boudreaux, also known as Gambit's original lady love. And speaking of Fox's Marvel stable, once he finishes with X-Men Apocalypse, Brian Singer is taking on author Jules Verne's classic novel 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. When Disney made it into a film in 1954, its popularity led to attractions being created at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Disney's remake was hanging out in development purgatory for eons with David Fincher attached to direct, but the plans were finally scrapped a few years ago. Looks like Singer's version will become reality. And now, our feature presentation. The Muppets debuted Tuesday night to big numbers, 9.01 million viewers to be exact. They tuned in to see Kermit and Company's return to primetime television. More people liked it than didn't. I've determined that beyond general reviews, there are two distinct groups that didn't like this show. The first group, format purists. The Muppet Show was a variety show. Big red curtains, singing in skits, straw hats, striped suits, dance numbers with chorus girls, appearances by big stars. The characters had different traits, but there wasn't a storyline that really developed them beyond those broad strokes. Piggy's amorous and aggressive. Kermit's an earnest, lovable doormat. Gonzo's weird. Lather, rinse, repeat. While it may have retained some of its predecessors' sensibilities, The Muppets is very decidedly not The Muppet Show. It can't be, and it shouldn't be. The Muppets is a little different, it's what you get when The Office and 30 Rock get married and have a puppet kid, a mockumentary style blended with the behind-the-scenes feel of a working production. But this time, the real show is taking place backstage. Kermit has an edge. He's put his foot down and is becoming his own man. Um, frog. When Piggy goes diva, his, oh sheesh, has been replaced with this. My life is a bacon-wrapped hell on earth. The problem here is that as time marches on, TV evolves, for better or for worse, and sometimes we just don't want that to happen. In some situations, that's a good thing. Example, was Sesame Street better before Elmo came on the scene? Yes. Has he brought down the IQ of that show by at least a mind-numbing 50 points or more? Yes. Do I actually just really hate Elmo and wish he'd trip and fall into a dumpster fire? Yes, yes, and yes. But in other situations, it's a bad thing, and what you think you want, you actually don't. If you saw the Muppets in exactly the same fashion as the original, essentially they pick right back up in the same format and keep going, like there was just a really long hiatus, you would hate it. You wouldn't call it a revival of an old classic, you would hate it, and you would trash it for being a retread of what it already was before. The Muppets doesn't have to be a variety show, that's been done before. If you want a variety show, go watch Best Time Ever with Neil Patrick Harris, which I don't mean at all in a derogatory way. I love NPH, and I think that show is great. 
But look at his show, even. Even the variety show genre itself is being modernized. So, now that the first episode is over, get it out of your system and start critiquing it on its own merits. The other group that doesn't like this show is One Million Moms, or should I say, substantially less than one million pearl-clutching hyperventilators with nothing else to do. For those of you blessed enough to have somehow not heard about this group, it's a pack of easily offended conservative women whose goal is to scrub television with a wire brush and make it squeaky clean for the children. If they do sound vaguely familiar, but you just can't quite put your finger on it, this is the same group that led a failed mission to boycott J.C. Penney because they hired Ellen DeGeneres for their ad campaign. As far as the Muppets go, there was plenty of fodder here to make them reach for their smelling salts, and reach they did. Good heavens! Kermit's on a poster that talks about full frontal nudity, and he's not wearing pants! Newsflash. Unless he's doing some kind of skit or has to dress up for something, pantsless is pretty much how Kermit rolls. I've got the vapors. Not only did Kermit say Piggy was sexy, his new girlfriend Denise was naughty whispering in Kermit's ear in the office. I like this, Kermit. Come here, you decisive little frog, you, and tell Denise what you want. Okay, I'll admit it. This one did make me uncomfortable, but not because of the content. I just don't like Denise. I'm currently weirded out by her. Perhaps this will change with time, but today is not that day. The real problem here is the sanctimonious, revisionist viewpoint that deifies the old Muppet show as some pure-as-the-driven snow, kid-safe program, which it decidedly was not. The Muppet show was chock-full of innuendo and adult jokes. Here's part of a typical Miss Piggy sketch. And you have a marvelous mind. And the other parts ain't bad either. <laughs> oh, well, uh, if you're warm, maybe you're overdressed. No, I'm fine. Maybe I'm overdressed. You know what's awesome about the United States of America in 2015? You have literally hundreds of other channels you can watch. Don't like the fact that Denise gets heavy-handed on the innuendo in the back office? Simple. Turn it to something else. This is not 1950, where there were basically only three networks to choose from. Fun for all ages is not synonymous with, this is a kid's show because it involves puppets. As an aside, Somebody better tell the nowhere near one million moms that they should probably sell their tickets to Avenue Q. Fun for all ages. That means there's something there to appeal to everybody. And with a show like this, another way that is done is by weaving in smart comedy that sails right over Junior's head. Disney does that all the time. Look at Cars, Toy Story, even Frozen. There's dialogue and visual jokes in Disney shows that children won't notice because those elements are encoded for their parents' viewing pleasure. The concept works perfectly when Fozzie talks about his luck on the dating scene. And your online profile says passionate bear looking for love. You get a lot of wrong responses. If not wrong, it just wrong for me. Come along. He is a bear. He couldn't not make that joke. And your regular everyday kid won't be any the wiser. Nor would she even have a clue to ask what a bear was. Because, duh, it's a bear. And kids know what a bear is. All I'm saying is, if your eight-year-old knows what the other type of bear is, that's on you, Mommy. But for me, the physical comedy is the element where the show falls flat. Scooter's extended golf cart tussle with Elizabeth Banks wasn't funny. And neither was the bit with the taser. Three words, know what your audience. I'll be watching to see if that area of the concept improves. 
I did like that there's a secondary plot, and I'm hoping that concept continues. We've only gotten a cursory introduction to Gonzo, and we've not yet met Rolf and many others. These are stories I want to hear more of, and there are plenty yet to come. I liked that storyline as well. Fozzie and his girlfriend's speciest parents are all cut up in a guess-who's-coming-to-dinner situation. I hope we'll see that story again in future episodes, because Sidney Poitier, Fozzie is not. Waka waka waka. Overall, I like it, but I think they have some work to do. Looking forward to seeing where this goes. Well, dang, this is semi-embarrassing. Last week, I took part in the Behind the Magic Podcast Tournament of Podcasts against Sarah from The Mouse and the Monorail. Our lovely hosts, Zeke and Rachel, pretty much gave both of us a beatdown. I got a whopping one question correct, and Sarah didn't do that well either. But alas, I still lost. Before you scoff at me, go listen to it. You tell me if you would have gotten any of those right. Don't worry, I'll wait. Mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. And that's a wrap. Mouse Flicks is a production of Mouse Flicks Media and is produced by me, Kristen DiBiase. The Mouse Flicks podcast theme features music by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com. To all of you out there in the world or the land, thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Tell your friends, yell it from the rooftops, and most importantly, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Comments? Questions or suggestions, email us at mouseflix at gmail.com. Find us on the web at www.mouseflix.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mouseflix. And tweet us at mouseflixcast on Twitter. We'll talk to you soon. And remember, popcorn's always better with a little pixie dust. So yeah, I was watching some video walkthroughs to show my husband exactly what the rooms would look like. We were doing a walkthrough through the Little Mermaid room in Art of Animation, and it just looks like Ariel threw up everywhere. But not only that, over the bed there is a picture of Flounder and Sebastian high-fiving. You got jokes, Disney.